Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the new HBO series, Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons. The new show will feature intimate conversations with compelling guests from the worlds of pop culture, sports, entertainment, the arts, and technology. Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons will also include field segments and Simmons' signature commentary on current events. Make sure to watch Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons premiering Wednesday, June 22nd at 10 p.m. on HBO. We're also brought to you by our new website, TheRinger.com, presented by Miller Lite. Go now and check out the latest in pop culture, sports, and tech at TheRinger.com. Last but not least, we want to mention Loot Crate. This episode of The Watch is brought to you by Loot Crate, the monthly subscription box for geeks, gamers, and pop culture nerds. Pop culture is full of brave new worlds and societies in flux that don't always turn out for the best. June's theme will be exploring some of the ways things can go wrong with dystopia, featuring classics RoboCop, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and The Matrix, and new faves Bioshock Infinite and Fallout 4. We've got a figure, cool collectibles, and of course, our dystoporific monthly tea. You only have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate when the cutoff happens. That's it. It's over. So go to lootcrate.com slash watch and enter promo code watch to save $3 on your new subscription today. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I am the editor at TheRigger.com and on the other line. Now that Andy's home, it's over for you. Andy clones. It's Andy Greenwald! What's up? So icy. So icy entertainment presenting this podcast. Not really. No one else is presenting this podcast other than The Ringer. Hey, man. Gucci's home. Andy's in New York. This is The Watch. We're talking about Game of Thrones. We're talking about a wonderful weekend of music in New York City that I was not there for. And I don't think Andy was there for it either, even though he was there. Uh, Kanye uh, (laughs) and The Killers both, both playing. We wanted to chat a little bit about that. There's a new show on AMC called Feed the Beast. That me and Andy are going to talk about. There's also a little bit of Star Wars news and airplane movies. It's a thing! <laughs> so excited. Uh, I had a really bad like an idea today to do during airplane movies is to interrupt your airplane uh-huh. movies to talk about a horror film I saw set on an airplane. Oh, that's called great. Flight seventy five hundred yeah, with the uh, the wonderful Amy Smart. Oh, underrated. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I'm not going to do that to you because I know you're scared of flying. I, I, you know what? I, I am I'm increasingly not scared of flying because I have so much great film content to work through and because I spend most of my life doing it. So it's actually just, it's kind of at the point where it's exhausting to be scared of it, so I'm not really scared anymore. Uh, and, I, and, you know, fun, fun, fun fact, Chris, this week, like, I now know the people who work on the planes so I can just chat with them, and they were telling me all sorts of stories about about what to actually be scared of and like oh apparently, apparently some turbulence isn't really one of them <laughs> so no, all it real, took though, was shout, you to have a shouts. flight attendant tell you what was actually going to happen to a plane if it ever went I, wrong i was i was chatting with with the flight attendant and at the moment when they got the call from the cockpit and she was like oh okay okay got it and then the seatbelt light went on and i was like oh um so what happened she's like he said it was an emergency. No, he just didn't. kidding. Everything's fine. It's just going to be bumpy for three minutes. <laughs> We're going like, to roll Megan, it. Minx. No, that's that's uh, that would be great if Denzel Washington was your pilot. Every shouts, week. shouts to shouts to Megan on Delta. Um, but <laughs> shouts, you know, shouts the whole Delta fam. <laughs> Andy shouts to Ian but, McShane, the Mark Pryor of Game of Thrones, coming in to to, to paraphrase Jason Concepcion, coming in and throwing ninety eight for one one episode, and then yeah. shredding his. <laughs> neck piece and and leaving us as just just as beautifully as he joined us he's, 
his chain hung heavy around his neck. Yeah, we yeah. should we should say that Chris, we we talked a lot as we always do about this particular episode uh, 607 of Game of Thrones on our TV show After the Thrones, which you can watch on HBO platforms. You know how I feel about platforms. But one thing we didn't really get to go in depth on uh when we were on set talking about it was just was just McShane, the yeah. Deadwood reunion. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like this needs a little more space. Deadwood reunion with who? With us, with the viewership. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with the H- with the home box office network. It was great to have uh, Ian McShane swearing in my face on a Sunday night again. So so can we do a round robin of like just some quick Ian McShane on Game of Thrones like Q&A session? Yeah, like, sure. I'm gonna, can I ask you a couple questions? Sure. Question, question number one, subject, <laughs> Ian McShane on Game of Thrones. Question number one. Chris, has Ian McShane ever watched Game of Thrones? I... Th- Here's it. You want, you want to know what's no, and that's why he's a great <laughs> yeah. actor because it sure seemed like he had. I think that is a brilliant and politic <laughs> answer, and I, I agree with you. And I'll, I mean, please continue with your answer. Do you think that, like, I think he may be in a in a late night haze after watching Newcastle versus Aston Villa, the second repeat playing <laughs> Sky, just you know, Sky Atlantic or whatever, and he he cracks open a, a beautiful Boddington's. And just watches, mm. uh, and watches maybe like five minutes of his good friend Jonathan Price. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that he's like in the mix. I don't think he's in the trenches. No. Do you think? Do you think like like Jonathan Price and Kieran Hines and all these other dudes who've been on the show? Do you think they have like like whatever old man slack is, yeah. which is probably just like <laughs> it's called a bar. Talking to each That's other. called the pub. It's called a bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's called seeing each other and hanging out. <laughs> Like, if they did a making of season six, like the origin story of Ian McShane on the show, it would just cut back to him in a pub somewhere with Newcastle match on going, they paid you how fucking much? <laughs> like, don't you think that's what it is? But, but so I let me get this straight. There's point... just a screen and it's green and you just talk to it. <laughs> He's like, again, that's what he does at the pub. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that your answer is correct, though, because... One of the things that we that we always like we, we we talk about this anytime we're talking about blockbuster season, which is just the amazing the amazing uh, um, symmetry between classically trained British actors and hot sci fi nonsense. Yeah, which is just that they are just tra- because these are actors who are trained to say Shakespearean language. Yeah, they immediately as if it was legitimize your bullshit. Yeah, they 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 understand it and. It actually probably would have been worse if he had struggled through five seasons of the show and, like, got lost going down rabbit holes of fan theories or whatever, when, in fact, all they had to tell him was, you used to be a fighter, now you're reborn, and you're helping this dude. And he's like, great, got it, where's me tunic? I was thinking about he this. He embodied with, what this character needed. With Jonathan Price is, because, um, you know, Jonathan Price has been on almost every episode this season, and there's been, I think, up to this point, three or four directors of, I think they do two two each. And yeah, they block imagining teams. how each director, like <laughs> when a new director shows up on set and goes up to Jonathan Price and he's like, Jonathan, huge fan. So excited to work with you. <laughs> Jonathan, in this scene, you are going to walk into this room barefoot and you are going to talk <laughs> about the Book of the Seven to someone who is not willing to hear what you have to say, but then they will be willing and they will listen. And you will tell them, and they will hear you. 
what what any questions do you have? Jonathan Price is just like, when's lunch? I have been doing this <laughs> since fucking <laughs> the dawn of time. That's how long the, the High Sparrow yeah. has been walking into stone rooms and being like, no, it, <laughs> what are you reading? It is such a joy to watch <laughs> actors like McShane because sometimes it's not that hard, you know? Sometimes it's just not that complicated. Like, you don't guess, like you don't need to be Shia LaBeouf to be an actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't need to, like, put yourself in a movie theater for 72 All hours. All those guys are like that. Like, Anthony Hopkins is like that. Whenever they've asked him if he does method, he's like, I try to just read the lines. <laughs> like yeah. Did you ever listen to, um, I think it was Ian McKellen on, on Mark Maron podcast, where he was talking about, like, you know, the great stage actors of his generation, like, who who was the greatest and he's basically like tony hopkins is the greatest stage actor since olivier but tony hopkins just fucking loves living in california <laughs> and yeah. he will never go on stage again because oh, yeah. why would he it's just fun for him and like that is just an amazing it, it takes some of the romance out of it but it actually increases the professionalism and so that that was the thing like we didn't think i don't think anyone thought mcshane was just gonna you know jump in here and, and saddle up for another three-year bid i don't know if any of us knew he was literally a day player on the show but what an amazing thing for actor and show for that to be the guy you have on the bat phone just on the bench to play one oh, yeah relatively minor but pretty crucial role yeah and it would have been a pretty arduous that those scenes had an extra resonance just because of how how well he did with the, with the material uh we can save any other thrones things unless you had any other observations from last night for just, for the re-up that we'll to, do this week for the preview yeah we are going to do a re-up um no I, I i think that just one thing that i've that i've been thinking about in this episode brought out to me is that you know, since since we've been covering it the way we've been covering it this year and, and, and doing our TV show, and I have not been writing the recaps, I've been, it's been, I feel like I haven't had as many opportunities to just say, to just put a, basically put a pin in the moments when the show is just so pleasurable as a TV show, not just as this unprecedented exercise in world, world building and fan service and everything else that goes along with it. Um, and in this case, I'm thinking of like the, the McShane, Rory McCann scenes, because first of all, he's, that performance as the Hound, I really missed it. It's one of the more interesting and lived-in performances on the show because he's had such a journey um, to play over these few seasons. Those scenes, I mean, this is as close... Other than Blackwater, this is as close as we're going to get to a bottle episode because yeah. so much of it was just in this one small place that's not... We're never going to come back to because, you know, honestly, if the show was about the plight of hippies in the middle of the Riverlands, I don't think the show would have been as successful. Maybe I'm wrong. Um but these were this was just great scene work. Like some of the ideas expressed in those scenes have been expressed by the High Sparrow, by other characters over the course of the season. But what a pleasure to watch them just going back and forth, and you know, ha- having their banter and having and 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 honestly, putting you know, ending it basically. That was that was that character. That was that interaction. And now we're onto something else. I, I appreciate it on its own terms for that reason. I was thinking about when it, when Arya gets uh, shivved up on the bridge by the the meanest. The, the most obvious fake old woman ever. Like, <laughs> hello, my yeah. sweetie. Uh, I thought about how what, what the the boss move would be if every single time someone was like attacked on this show, it was all like it just cut to black and never resolved it. So like, what if like Arya was drowning in the water after being stubbed, st- stabbed in the stomach, and like we never saw whether McShane was dead, we never saw whether or not like how many different people could we have on like fade to black like uh, cliffhangers right now? Well, I will I will say. If the show wasn't this show, and it didn't basically know that, you know, more or less, 
it's it's it, it seems like there's only going to be one or two seasons after this. I think we can all we all know that even if things haven't been made official, um, then it would do that, right? Like if it yeah. wasn't already this successful and didn't already have this many characters to juggle, like why would you burn that? I mean, that was that that is very old TV. It's like you keep as many balls in the air as you possibly can in case you might need them again. But like, it is you just bring people. It back is an interesting life. thing. It, it, we said this on After the Thrones, but it is an interesting thing to keep an eye on that we had five years of just having our teeth kicked in in terms of people we cared about and. A lot of them are coming back. It's enough so that we we basically on our show we laughed off the threat to Arya, even though she really got she really got done up. You know, that's like if this was the wire, she would need to be wearing phone books strapped to her midriff in order to survive a shiving like that. And yet we're, we feel pretty confident about it. It's interesting to, to to keep an eye on going forward. For sure. Uh, let's let's move on to quickly. I want to talk about this weekend in music in New York City because. You and I had been exchanging text messages because at the governor's ball on, was it Friday, I guess, because Saturday, maybe it was Saturday, I don't know, but the killers were one of the headliners. Um, yeah, I think it was Saturday because Sunday got rained out. Right. And uh, the killers who have now become classic rock, I guess, behind behind our backs, I guess we have too, right? But we did this 1996 pod a couple of months ago that people can still find on our watch SoundCloud archives. That's right, Tate, right? Yep. Yeah, and I felt weird doing that. And those song, those albums were were twenty years old. But it's really strange, but also strangely charming to watch the Killers play a greatest hits set that includes a tribute to their then running buddies Interpol. And what I mm-hmm. couldn't help but think was like a little bit of shade when they cover yeah. Obstacle, and they're like, "Yeah, you know, when we were making Hot Fuss." That record that went like fucking platinum. We were listening to this little New York band called Interpol. And then he was like, and we were also listening to Longwave and Adam Green. (laughs) As if it was Stephen Stills and Neil Young remembering listening to like, you know, Country Joe and the Fish back in the 60s. And they just played the hell out of Obstacle. I don't know. I, it was it was just a very strange moment of like this New York rock from the early 2000s becoming classic rock. First of all, Longwave had some hits, and I urge everyone to go check out Longwave's song "Tidal Wave." I still, I still gets with that, gets down with that song. But everything else you're saying is, of course, exactly right. I love the Killers. I think you agree with me for the most part, and they are such a strange beast because it's basically like they've always wanted to be in the winner's circle. They were a classic rock band from the minute they formed. Like, that's the kind of music they wanted to play. They were writing songs for stadiums. They were writing songs that would sound great 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, and that people would immediately fixate with a, a fix with a certain context, a certain time in their lives, a certain, a certain memory, a certain moment. And it's almost as if in direct... I mean, their sales have been going down, but everyone's sales have been going down. But I feel like this moment... and they Because they weren't even touring on a record. They haven't put out a record in a couple of years. And, uh, you know, you and I love the Brandon Flowers solo record from last year. Adore and I it. hope people are still Adore checking it. it out. It's a great, great album. But this is almost... Their sales have been going down, but I think their star is going up. Because I think people are appreciating exactly what it is that they bring. And if you've been standing on Governor's Island in the sweltering sun for 10 hours... I'm sorry, but you don't want to hear someone apologizing for maybe playing their fourth best song. You want a band who will come out and play the hits. No, they came out and they, they opened with Brightside. They sound better. <laughs> I know. I know. They take this very, very seriously, and it's never been cool to take it that seriously. But if we are moving into an era where no one is buying albums, but everyone is going to festivals and events, 
then they are weirdly well positioned for the next decade of their career. Absolutely. Um, and then the other thing that happened this weekend with New York City was that Governor's Ball, like you said, Sunday night got rained out or at least canceled because of wor- the worries about the thunderstorms that were hitting New York City. How were those thunderstorms? Just as a quick aside. First of all, thanks for asking that. Uh, the thunderstorm arrived when my family and I were uh, enjoying a dinner, which led to us running back home and uh, getting completely drenched by the rain. But I want everyone to know, don't worry about us, because those minutes that we were running were the only minutes it was raining, because immediately afterwards, a gigantic, beautiful rainbow broke out, and it would have been an amazing night for a concert. I was, when it, for some reason, when you... Good job by you, I, organizers. I think because we spend most of our waking life pondering Game of Thrones, when you were like, my family and I were enjoying dinner, I just immediately thought of you guys as the phrase... <laughs> I thought you pictured us just sitting all together like uh, Ian McShane's hippie commune. Yeah. And I was like, and then these dudes showed up from the Brotherhood Without Banners. <laughs> and let me tell you, it did not go well. So Kanye was supposed to headline Governor's Ball, but there was also a good music set scheduled to happen at Hot 97 Summer Jam. Uh, Governor's Ball was canceled. Kanye turned that Summer Jam concert that summer jam appearance into a like de facto show and then very quickly like sometime around like probably nine or ten o'clock east coast time it became it it was it was kanye tweeted and it became the rumor started circulating that he was going to play um a sort of pop-up show at webster hall in new york city not a big place for kanye not a big place no. no um so he doesn't he shows up there Eventually. Well, first of all, a few thousand people showed up outside of it. And uh, it just seems like very apparent just by looking at Twitter that I, maybe people didn't know. Like, Wester Hall probably knew this was going to happen, but nobody else was really prepared for this or Kanye wasn't prepared for it. Or whoever whoever kind of dropped the ball there, it never really went off despite a very funny Snapchat of Kanye saying, call the mayor shut down the city for four blocks around the venue and put screens out so that the people can enjoy it. Can I, can I just jump in for a second and ask you something? Are you suggesting here, and I think you're more than suggesting, I think you're implying that it, that possibly Kanye West doesn't think through everything before he <laughs> says it? Is that, is that where you're headed with this? Because I, don't, I won't stand for it. I can't imagine what being Kanye's day-to-day like, ops guy is like. Because you, you, just, you <laughs> never know when he's just going to wake up and he's going to be like, get me a unicorn's horn. But also, yeah, get me a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. Um, but, and, and, and he leaves the order to you. He's like, get them in whatever order you feel comfortable getting them. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, uh, so the it, show did not pop off. There was like, they were out, people were out no. there until three or four in the morning. I think Future and, and Pusha showed up at SOBs at some point. If you guys get a chance, <laughs> reach on Care Monica's write up of the whole event in the New York Times because what I took from this whole moment w- w- was. New York is still the only place something like this could have happened. <laughs> yep. And that's that's still yeah. like why I love New York is that like sometimes Kanye West will be like I want to have a concert on a Sunday night, Monday morning. But let's also I know people who listen to our podcast aren't surprised that we are excited about something Kanye West is doing, but this is really writ large one of the reasons why we love him because it is an exceedingly scripted time for music it is you know it's the blockbuster era of albums and there was a you know some smart writing on this on a website called the ringer last week about how you know record releases are carefully orchestrated events yeah and everything has to fall in place because you have to hit your moment and you have to basically 
do big big business that first weekend before you get subsumed by all the other things that are happening. And Kanye is a chaos agent in the best possible way. And yes, there were a lot of people on the streets of New York City last night who were annoyed. But, you know, that's actually every night in New York City yeah, full seriously. of people who are annoyed. The, the, the nice thing about it was Pusha, who's just having a really delightful run right now, by the way. <laughs> and, and he was probably about this. the richest person in the world. <laughs> because well, we he wrote the back fucking that, but... I'm loving it jingle. That was the greatest just secret just dro- info drop. I was just going to say that he was basically saying that last night it's just proof that it's a movement, that people were excited about something. And that's really true. It was weirdly positive feeling, right? And I say this as someone who was not there, but everything around it felt positive. They wanted to put on a show in the same way that last week Kanye, for no good reason, decided he wanted to release a good music compilation album when, in fact, he's already supposed to be releasing a solo album any any minute now that we've heard nothing about since he announced he was doing it. That's the TurboGrafx-16 album. But instead, he's going to do a compilation album, and he released a track called Champions featuring everyone. Um, I like it when fun things happen. Sue me! I like it when fun things happen, too. Uh, Chris, do you Do you have Chris, any thoughts I'm on... Lo- I'm loving it! I'm loving <laughs> it! <laughs> da, 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 da. Who's your favorite verse on Champions? I thought you were going to say, who's your favorite verse on, on I'm loving it? And, and I think it's Grimace. I think Grimace really, he flips it with that yeah. DOS effects flow. Oh, it's really Ham- surprising. Ham- Hamburglar, um, Hamburglar got those bars, though. <laughs> before we go to champions, before we go to champions, I, I think that, I hope someone will write this, maybe someone at TheRinger.com will write this, but what Pusha is doing is just like a model for how to be a mature adult in a, in a business and art form that does not really support mature adults you know we've we've talked before about jay-z's recent struggles in this area but pusha is basically like i am still the i'm the best crime writer in my genre you know no one when george pelicanos writes a crime novel no one's like george you're not really you're not really slanging anymore you know you're not on the corners doing this so why can you write this book push is basically the same way he knows what he's good at doing he does it he's the president of kanye's company which i don't know what that counts for but designer has a number one record he secretly wrote a mcdonald's theme song and from everything i've heard he just goes back to his family at night and has a nice life he also good did a job, lot of uh, a lot of uh dialogue polishing on finding dory See, would that, honestly, would that surprise you? <laughs> we should just keep coming up with jobs that Push has done. I heard sh- Push is taking over as showrunner <laughs> for, for how to get away with murder next season. <laughs> that would be, a, first of all, that would be a very good solo album title for him. But Oh my God. We'll, okay, right. we're, we're going to come back to that. I, I feel like there are a lot of options for him going forward. You want to talk about the, the Kanye track before we move on to other things? Um, I just wanted to know who your favorite, I know who's, favorite verse was. I know who my least favorite verse is. Can can we can we drop the facade about Big Sean? Like I feel like there was a minute <laughs> when we were all what facade? We Wait, were all gen- gritting our teeth. Tate, generationally, do you like like do you like have you ever liked Big Sean? Yeah. All right, man, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> He's all right. He's all right. Good music. I support good music. This is this is the worst take. Look, look, Big Sean. He's a very, very annoying rapper, and he really, really came close to ruining the best tracks on the last Kanye compilation, Cool <laughs> Summer. Then his record came out, and there was a counter-argument. The Slate.com counterfactual, led by Ringer Editor-in-Chief Sean Fennessy, who, yes, I'm calling out by name, being like, <laughs> he's not that bad. And so I caught, you know, I would, I would, I nodded my head a little bit. I listened all the way through to the end of some of his songs, but gritted my teeth because he's very annoying. And the fact that he is on this track that features a lot of rappers that otherwise probably shouldn't be on, like, 
they sh- they wouldn't be getting this kind of radio play if it wasn't a Kanye track. Like like Gucci, like Yo Gotti, who I think he has my favorite verse. But why is Big Sean on this track, Chris? Why do we have to accept this? Can we it's stop just, accepting? He it? has a very very good agent. I don't I don't know what to tell you. He just gets like he is somehow he is always on like these fire Kanye songs, and he always has the verse. It's like the, I I think about it all the time with Mercy, where it's just like I can't believe I have to listen to Big Sean's verse because I don't want to ever fast forward Mercy. It's such a perfect song, except for the fact that Big Sean is a like rap zit on the face of this beautiful <laughs> diamond of a fucking rap song. It's so maddening still to this day when I think about it. Like make that ass shake. What is it like? What is the line he has? Don't even tell me. I don't even. Want, I'm just gonna get mad if you tell me, uh, Andy. If Push a Chris, T do you, is. Do you, have you ever heard of? Have you ever heard of the Japanese art of kintsugi? <laughs> That's the. Uh, I'm going somewhere with this. That was that. That is the art of. Uh, it's a. It's a. It's what ceramicists do in Japan, where they make something beautiful, but then they intentionally mar it because perfection is impossible. So maybe the advanced theory. Actually. Well, that's no. By the way, no one has any doubts that we. <laughs> that we mar our podcast with imperfections. That's been well established this afternoon, if not for the last four years. But maybe the advanced theory version of recent Kanye shouts to Jason Hartley for this. Maybe that's why Big Sean is there to remind us that that all art is fallible and life is short. I, that life is short. Is, 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 is Tate still breathing? Is, is, did I just blow everyone's mind? <laughs> this is. I, I think Tate is having the same reaction to that statement as he did when he went and saw the lobster and came out and said, "Companionship is a lie." <laughs> Um, and he actually just before Tate, Tate, is, Tate is having a really intense senior year abroad, like at the ringer. He's really, he, this is really, this is going to be wild. Seriously, he's, he's going to go back to campus next year and be, be like, like super you guys don't even know how they do it in Italy. Yeah. Um, I want to just quickly before we move on, just say that I, I do feel like if Pusha T, Kanye is sort of our patron saint, Pusha T is basically our favorite rapper. Two Chains is really coming on strong though. He's the Secretary of State. I, I agree here. with this. Yeah, Two Chains is getting very, very, very good again. Not that he ever was bad, but I just—it's just great to have him back in the mix. Before we get to talking about Star Wars Rogue One, I wanted to tell you a little bit about another one of our sponsors, Ratani. Now, I actually just got married last fall, and it was a lovely experience. The wedding was great, but the actual buildup, where you're thinking about the ring and thinking about buying it and thinking about what it should look like and when you where you should get it and dealing with the salespeople—all that stuff is really stressful. So, if you're thinking about popping the question, you should definitely check out Ratani. There's no simpler way to get to get her the ring of her dreams. All of their rings are handcrafted in New York. You shop online and they'll ship overnight to you or a Ratani jeweler close to you. You design the ring, they handcraft it, and you see it in the store for free. Plus, they offer no hassle returns. It's that easy. She'll love the ring and you'll feel great about giving it to her. And this month, they're giving away a diamond. Damn! Just visit ritani.com slash BSPN today for the free diamond giveaway. Also want to tell you about Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Its award-winning sleep surface was developed in-house, has a sleek design, and is delivered in a small, how-do-they-do-that size box. In addition to the mattress, Casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just 
just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. Mattresses can cost over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin-size mattress, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. You're the king if you get these things. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers a free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you can commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. You get free shipping and returns to USA and Canada. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. It's made in America. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash BSPN and using BSPN. Terms and conditions may apply. I have one Rogue One note. We don't really have to spend a lot of time on this. This has been like reported from every side so that I don't really know what the truth is. Um, oh, no. I have more than one Rogue no- One note. So let me just... Yeah, well, set, set it up. Set it okay. up. People might not know about this. A couple weeks ago, Andy and I talked about how Rogue One was like more or less everything we ever wanted from a Star Wars movie and that this idea of scope and scale that Gareth Edwards seems to have in making this prequel to Star Wars A New Hope seems just... We were very excited about it. The trailer is awesome. Uh, it's darker than a lot of that stuff. The darkness seems to have uh, really made a... Uh, reportedly kind of left a bad taste in the mouth of some Disney executives who have asked for reshoots and maybe a lightening of the tone. That was all rumors. There was also rumors of Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote Usual Suspects and has been working on the Mission Impossible movies as of late, coming in and uh, maybe doing some rewrites, assisting with some reshoots. A lot of that stuff was shot down. A lot of these reshoots were apparently pre-planned. They're doing some light tweaking of character work. That's all. But then, like, a little side note got thrown in there late on Friday, which was that the god Tony Gilroy was deeply involved in this movie. And now I've gone from being excited about Rogue One to being nervous that Rogue One might not be good because they're messing with it too much to being even more excited about Rogue One than I was before. Because fucking Michael Clayton is coming to space. Wow. (laughs) I First of all, I would watch the shit out of a movie called Michael Clayton in Space. Like that would be if if someone like went to look at some space horses right. and their spaceship exploded behind them at the beginning of the movie and you didn't know why because you didn't know space horses existed plus the law that would be the greatest movie ever. I didn't know about the Gilroy thing. That makes me excited. I, I think this was all pretty interesting because I think that generally you and I take a very uh, measured approach to blockbusters. We're a little bit cynical about this stuff, and reshoots are so par for the course that. Any movie that we, any major Hollywood movie that we have either liked or made fun of over the last three, four, five years, I mean, or at least as long as we've been doing this podcast, certainly, they've all had reshoots, whether for planned reasons or unplanned reasons. This is, this is what happens. Everything is being tweaked until the final possible second. That's just, it's, there's too much money invested in these things for it not to be the case. I think it's worth noting that the reason we both, you know, took, were taken aback and, and wanted to bring it up on the podcast is because that trailer was perfect. Yeah. That trailer suggested the kind of movie that we both really wanted to see, and we were very excited. And the thing that 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 I was a little unsure of with the with the reports was were all the reports that they were lightening the tone or or, or giving a character work because I thought the other smart thing about all of this about Lucasfilm's reboot of the entire Star Wars franchise was that they by basically cloning I know that's a loaded word in Star Wars lore but cloning the tone of the original 
trilogy for the new trilogy, which was, you know, very soaring and romantic and with a lot of light moments, thanks to the Han Solo character. And in this case, the actual Han Solo, um, it was allowing them the space in the other movies they were going to add to supplement it to do other things and to bring us sides of the universe that we hadn't seen. So they could have a little bit of darkness, which has become the, you know, which has become the norm, but then also have everything else. So I was a little worried that they were just trying to make everything exactly the same in tone. But again, we're not, we haven't seen this movie. No one has seen this movie. I don't think they've done I bet Pusha's screenings. Seen I think a lot think of that's probably gave notes? untrue. <laughs> Thank you for that's where I was going. I think that they had someone in the editing room wearing a stormtrooper helmet, and three weeks in, he took it off, and it was Pusha. And he was just like, and he yeah. just turned towards this. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why they did reshoots. Oh, yeah, and then after me, the yeah. reshoots, he was like, <laughs> but after the reshoots, he was like, I'm loving it. And they were like, release this to America. <sighs> no, it, it's it, this is the business that they're in. But the the, the bigger thing to, to to keep an eye on, I think will be to see if any one of these major, major franchises, because they are really all that's keeping Hollywood afloat, if any of them can be quote-unquote director-friendly. If any of them are able to hire someone who does something and then allow that person to do that thing. Because time and time again, we see ambitious, interesting people hired to work in these universes, and they they walk out bruised and battered and vowing never to do it again, and they get replaced by TV directors. And I don't even mean that as a shot against the Russo brothers, who made, I think, a terrific film, and in fact, you could argue that Zack Snyder does one thing that everyone knows what he does, and even that hasn't didn't go over well. So I think that would be interesting, because you, you're a fan of Gareth Edwards, and if he can't do this movie that they hired him to do, then that's a little worrisome. Big fan. Big fan. Not to sound like Larry King, but I'm a big fan. <laughs> um, great can hire. We, can we do a Larry <laughs> King version of the podcast film. sometime? <laughs> <laughs> um, Andy, let's, uh, l- let's, let's land the plane to- with a little airplane movies. Oh, we didn't do Feed the Beast. Can we do Feed the Beast Oh, first? yeah. You want to talk about Feed the Beast? My bad. Yeah. Uh, wow. So this is a show on AMC. Um, yep. And it stars David Schwimmer and yeah. Andrew Garfield's alternative timeline, Jim Sturgis. <laughs> And it's about yep. two. Are they brothers or cousins or friends? They're they're they're, they're just a couple of best friends in New York, Chris. Best something friends I thought you would know a lot about in the Bronx, who have had some tattered, yep. troubled lives. One's addicted mm. to coke and just got out of jail, but is a gifted chef, and the other is mourning mm-hmm. his dead wife and is an alcoholic, but is a gifted sommelier. And together, yep, they're going to open a great restaurant in the Bronx. I think. Uh, what could go wrong? This is weird, man. This feels like they made this in 2003 and put it in a box and then just threw it up on the air. Yeah, it, it is not very good. Um, it's a little bit disappointing to say that because there are plenty of good or worthwhile things in it. I mean, before we even get into the show, I just want to say that the, the Schwimmer sans is real. It's happening. And I think we are all feeling it. Uh, you, Everyone you was just surprised by not, how much they enjoyed dis- him. And- that's disrespectful to the McConaissance because him saying juice a hundred thousand times in OJ <laughs> is not a sans. It's what is it? I don't know. It's like a, it a it's a flare. It's it's going two for three a, on a, against the Orioles or something. It's not a renaissance. It's a swim surgeons. I mean, I, I we, we we can work on this. We'll workshop this. But I I do want to say he was surprisingly good in that. And he's surprisingly good at this, so maybe it's not really a surprise. Because the thing is, and people are very well aware of how popular Friends is and still is. Um, 
your boy was quoted in a very smart Adam Sternberg piece in New York Magazine about its enduring popularity. I feel like of all the people coming out of that show, no one is salty because they're, they're all hundred millionaires many times over. But I feel like Schwimmer's a little, never was that thrilled with it. I don't know the man, never spoken to him. But that dude was like, I am a New York theater actor and I'm a dramatic actor and I'm going to be the sad sack archaeologist or paleontologist or whatever he was on that show. And no one is complaining about making that much money or that success, but I think he kind of wanted to do this. And I enjoyed him in this show. Is that can will you allow you me can to enjoy say him that? Even though show, he's not starting Dallas Buyers Club, like he made this show the day after Friends ended. But the reason why that is is because it's not just that the show feels like it's thirteen years old. My take on it is that it was developed like it was thirteen years yeah. ago. Because if you if you look at this show, everything about it, or not even thirteen, three or four years ago, even everything about it ticks a box that makes people in suits in offices comfortable it was based on a very successful well-received danish series um it was shepherded by clyde phillips who was the showrunner on dexter and was a showrunner on nurse jackie and has been around tv and movies for a very long time so it's like it's in professional capable hands you look at how many projects are in development at network and cable and they managed to land two actors who have resumes you know, I'm not saying they're the most famous people in the world, but these are people that other shows wanted to hire, probably. And you have a bunch of things that are, quote unquote, hot. You have like the food scene, you have crime, you have New York, you have all these elements. So it should work. The fact that it doesn't is for precisely the same reasons that I just laid out, I think, because there's nothing personal or um, lived in in this show, right? As soon as we see a chef as soon as we there's the scene of like the ex-con stupping his lawyer while meat and fish are being chopped up in the bronx yeah and the music's like i'm like yeah there was the 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 music is weirdly like bad version of midnight run soundtrack yes i think also that's the kind of show that that i think it wants to be or it's just sort of covering its bases i feel like what's interesting is for a show about about um best friends in new york who are affected by crime and love food the show has no opinion on any of those four things whatsoever or no No. experience with any of those things whatsoever you know like all it would take for david schwimmer to be an interesting sommelier would be to say and you know i was going to go on this would be to say (laughs) seriously though like how hard would it be to be like hey someone who actually works in wine what would make him seem interesting and it would be like oh maybe he's talking about a a like a, a racy gamay or maybe he's doing something more interesting but no he's just like this is a chianti because that's a wine that people who are in the writer's room have heard of and that's a problem because 13 years ago you can get by because it's a tv show and who cares about specificity in tv shows in 2016 you need that specific lived-in perspective or else you're just going to get you're going to get lost absolutely um all right let's talk about uh let's talk about the intern (laughs) i'm so excited to talk about the intern chris i'm well because this was my recommendation when was it your recommendation? It wasn't I get this to take week. credit for the intern was... the way that Pusha T gets to take credit for McDonald's' <laughs> success. I feel like they are equally successful in my eyes. Me watching that movie and a theme song known and beloved by billions. I think I think it's similar. Chris, you, when this whole airplane movie odyssey began for me, I mean, I, <laughs> were we ever so young? For back all at, of back us. In April? It's really we... for all of us. <laughs> you were like, oh, word and check out the intern it's not that bad and i was like pshaw and i said the p 
And I ignored you until I was down to the dregs. And I was literally looking at, should I watch Hannah and her sisters again? Do I dare fire up How to Be Single? Or should I listen to my best friend and watch a film he recommended? And I'm sorry. Will you accept my apology, first I and do. foremost? I'm glad you liked it, because I think that, that was, it was right on the line of something that you could be irrationally mad at. <laughs> because it was filmed in my neighborhood? Well, and also, just like, I can never tell when you're going to go for full Bernie bro about a movie and be like, well, that is outrageous. <laughs> the values of this movie were d- corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> um, fair enough. Here's what I want to say in response to that about this movie. Chris, yeah. hashtag I'm with her. That's what I want to say about this movie. We have we have made some some hay, a non insignificant, non leaving horses starving amount of hay about Nancy Myers' films in the past and her love of uh, the pottery barn aesthetic and copper pots. I don't. Where did you stand on previous Myers epics? Where 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 are you in the Myers canon? I I never mind them when they're on, and I respect the fact that she does, for the most part, make movies for adults, which is such a rare thing, you know. Right. Uh, to, to make a movie right. where somebody who's over the age of 50 might have a really a relatively interesting storyline. And this movie did what she, her movies often do, which is have this have this sort of patina of drama while ultimately always mm-hmm. being everything is going to be all right. I completely agree. I also, though, think that this was her best movie and most in some ways most serious movie by a long, long, long so this stretch. Is, this is peak Myers. And I was That's very surprised by it. Because a couple, here, here is my take on, on, on two levels. Like on the glossy level, the performances are great. It looks great. It moves briskly. Um, it gets what, you know, it, it's about something and it says what it's about. It's just, it's just a well-made, well-made film. Hathaway kills it. De Niro is delightful. But it makes some choices that really threw me. Because I was ready to buckle up and just, in this case, literally, because I was on an airplane, um, and just have a fine movie experience. Because let me tell you, prior to turning on the intern, I actually I sampled infinitely polar bear for about seven minutes of watching Mark Ruffalo be like, I'm fine. Give me my babies back. And I was like, what is the hardest pass imaginable? Um, so I was ready just to be delighted. But the choices that it made, like just from making De Niro the POV character, which allowed Anne Hathaway to play a character we've never really seen in movies, which is she played the male character. She played the traditional hard charging male executive character. And there were no corners cut in that. To the really surprising, and I wish it wasn't so, feminism in this movie, where she is make she's she's trying to have it all, and it is really tough for her to have it all. But De Niro's character is basically like, I support you because what you're doing is worthwhile, and I see your ambition, and it has value. You aren't a bad person. Like these are very subtle things, oh, but losing- they're very big. And I can't imagine a filmmaker other than Nancy Myers having the, the the platform to say these things. It was really surprising to see that all in a movie. Yeah, and I know this is going to sound way, 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 way old, but uh, the usual, I think the, one of the go-to moves of, of any kind of comedy that strays into dramatic territory or dramedy, dr- dramas that have funny bit moments is just seeing how uncomfortable you can make the audience um, I often yes. think about that in relationships, so like bomb back movies or Duplass movies, you know, where you're just like, the, you you were gonna put a situation in this film that is just unbearably uncomfortable to watch, and that's that's real life. There were a couple of moments like that in this movie that were sad or or like slightly uncomfortable, but nothing out of the ordinary. And it was ultimately like a very nice piece of escapism because you could just kind of float along with it. And I liked the fact that it was never like, 
And now this guy has a friggin' stroke because of his blood pressure medication. Right. No, it was actually, you know, for as much as we talk about TV, there were things in this that were purely movie in a way that were really helpful. Like, if this was a TV show, there would have had to have been some romantic complications for her because it would have to continue week after week. We couldn't leave it in a place of ambiguity and reconciliation like the movie does, you know? Or De Niro would have to have a health crisis or something else more dramatic happen to him to keep it going. But because it was a film, you could keep the focus tight on what mattered. But I just was really impressed by a bunch of small choices it made. And this, we don't need to get too deep into it because I'm sure people are flocking to airplanes right now to watch this film. <laughs> just, just, just beating down the doors of the local He just has an allmusic.com Big Sean page open right now. He's not even listening to what we're doing. That's... Tate will revisit this podcast when he's 45 and he'll be like, oh my God, <laughs> my two grandfathers were so right. I missed this movie. Um, no, but here's, here's the thing I wanted to specifically highlight, right? This isn't giving anything away, I don't think, to say that one of, the, one of the plot drivers of the movie is that Anne Hathaway started this successful internet company and then the investors are like, you're, you're, you're pushed to the limit. You're running, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're stretched too thin. We need to bring in an experienced CEO to help you. And so she goes grudgingly to meet these various CEOs who are all men to who could potentially help her. And what was so smart about the movie is that it never once showed any of these guys. Because as soon as you cast someone, we have an opinion about it. Like if they cast George Clooney, we're like, oh, what a charming rogue. Yeah. You know, or if they cast, I don't know. Um, Ian McShane. Um, what's, <laughs> Ian McShane. We're like, this guy did not read the script for showing up. fucking company. <laughs> This, this is what I mean. Instead, it kept the focus on the female character and her journey and struggle in a way that movies just generally thoughtlessly don't do. So it was weirdly smart about that. You know, it, 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 kept, it kept your workaholics dudes just paid for the summer, right which now. I appreciated too. Happy for those guys. Uh, I'm glad that we got to this one because this is a classic. This is an airplane movie classic in the making. Um, hopefully they change over the movie soon. I wouldn't want this segment to die. Uh <laughs> Yeah, can I just can I jump in and say that I know I gave shouts to Delta at the beginning of this podcast. Would it be too much to just sprinkle a couple, just E forty, sprinkle me with a couple more movies? Because it's it's getting really hard not to start watching foreign language films. You know, I got to be honest with you. I watched a TV show on the way out to LA last week, Chris. What's going on, um, Andy? We'll be back later in the week to talk a little bit of Thrones and maybe some other stuff. Uh, until then, nice talking to you. Keep feeding the beast, Baranski. <laughs> Woo. Thanks to Ratani for sponsoring today's episode, buying an engagement ring. Check out Ratani. All of their rings are handcrafted in New York. You shop online. They'll ship it overnight to you or a Ratani jeweler close to you. You design the ring. They handcraft it. And you see it in the store for free. Plus, they offer no hassle returns. It is that easy. And this month, they're giving away a diamond. Go to ritani.com slash BSPN for the free diamond giveaway. Thanks, Ratani. 